going to be in Psalm 135 this morning, so you're going to want to grab your Bible if you brought it with you or from the pew in front of you or if you're at home, go ahead and pause, and, uh, and that's where we're going to be this morning. You know, one of my favorite things to do back in the day was to make, uh, like to burn CDs for people or make mixtapes. I'm dating myself again. But when I was really young, when I was really young, um, you would wait for the songs you really liked to come on the radio, and then you'd hit record really quick on your boombox, and you'd record the song off the radio. It was super awesome. Or what was really awesome, when I was in college, I had friends in the dorm who had CDs that you didn't have, right? And you'd be like, let me borrow that CD. And you'd rip it onto your hard drive, right? And you'd steal the music. I don't know. Is it stealing? I don't know. But uh, it was great. And then you get a decision, right? You get to decide, like, oh, if I'm going to make a CD or I'm going to make a tape of some of my favorite songs, what would I put on there? Now you guys just do it on playlists and stuff like that. But it was a, it was a, it was a task. It was really fun. And one of, the, one of the CDs I would make every year, I would make a CD called Sing-Along Songs. And it was songs to listen to in the car when you're driving somewhere, especially if you're going with students on a mission trip or something like that, that you knew everyone would be able to sing along to. My goal for this moment in the service is to get a song stuck in your head. Are you ready? Here, here are some famous sing-along songs. Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond. Take Me Home, Country Roads, John Denver. Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Boy, I tell you, our kids sing that song still, like really loud too, it's awesome. Um, hey Jude by the Beatles, Don't Stop Believing by Journey, Dancing Queen Abba, I Will Survive Gloria Gaynor, um, one, this is, this is I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. <laughs> you got to hit that like right note at the right time. Uh, you may have your favorite sing-along songs, I certainly do, but there's, what's interesting is that this psalm today is going to be a little bit like that. This psalm, 135, is actually kind of a greatest hits psalm. It's a psalm that's going to gather um, all kinds of different ideas and thoughts from all across the Hebrew Scripture and, and combine them. As a matter of fact, some scholars say that um, there's not a single line in this whole psalm that doesn't have some sort of direct reference or direct quote or direct um, pointing to, alluding to some other passage of Scripture in the, Hebrew, uh, in the Hebrew Old Testament, which is super interesting. So we're reading a greatest hits list when we read the psalm together, but this psalm itself is a greatest hit. It's probably part of a, a group of psalms that are called the Great Hallel or the Great Praise, and so this song itself was very important in the life of Israel, and it combines elements of different songs. It is the mixtape of, of, the, of the early um, life of God's people. So let's read this psalm together. This is Psalm 135. You can read along as I read it out loud. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain, who brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders, against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down my, many nations and killed mighty kings, 
Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people, Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nation are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. All you, all you who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, he who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, would we hear the call this morning to be a people of praise, to be people who turn our attention to you and know who you are and what you've done. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen. So this song, this psalm has a really particular structure. It's called the kind of a chiastic structure, which really, here's how you can think about it. You can think about it like a sandwich. So there's pieces of bread, and those pieces of bread have some other things on them, and then they squeeze into some stuff in the middle. And so the pieces on the end mirror each other. And, and this, this, this psalm is designed so that it, it looks like that. So there's similar themes at the beginning and the end. There's similar themes towards the middle and towards the middle end. And then there's one main idea pressing in at the middle. And so it starts and ends with an invitation to the gathered people to praise Yahweh. And then in this mid-level, we see that Yahweh is not like other nations and their gods. He actually is powerful and can do things. And then right in the center, right in the center of this sandwich and the center of this poem is that God is at work to rescue and redeem and restore his people. So we're going to let that structure shape our conversation this morning. So we're going to look at the invitation to praise our God. We're going to look at a reflection on kind of who God is and his unique greatness. And then we're going to finish up by examining one reminder that God is at work to save. Let's start with an invitation to praise our God. You may notice, glance back down, that the psalm begins and ends with the same phrase. So there's a good clue. Begins and ends with what? It begins and ends with praise the Lord. Now, in our English translation, that's three words, but in the original Hebrew, it is one word, and congratulations, you are all Hebrew scholars because you know this word. Are you ready? The word is hallelujah. You guys know that word. Congratulations, check it off the box. You did well today too, <laughs> right? So hallelujah is how this uh, psalm starts and ends. And that word hallelujah, hallel, means to praise, and yah is a shortened form of Yahweh, and so we're, uh, we're praising the Lord. The problem is that we tend to use the word hallelujah in English, we tend to use it more like the praise itself. We tend to use hallelujah more like um, like we use the word woohoo, right? Like woohoo, hallelujah, right? And, uh, and so you can use it sarcastically, oh, that's awesome, hallelujah, right? Or you can use it genuinely, you can celebrate and say hallelujah. We can speak of it with relief, oh, hallelujah, right? And we tend to, we tend to use it that way as a declaration of praise. But we, what we miss is that in the, 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 the language here, it's really an invitation to praise. It's really saying, hey, guys, come and praise. Hey, you all, come and praise God. So it's not the praise itself. It's actually a call to the community to come and begin the work of praise. And so its usage is an invitation. Hey, you guys, 
It's time to come and praise God. It's not a declaration of the praise itself. You know, an invitation is a special thing. It's telling you and I that our presence and our activity and our companionship and our our gifts and our abilities are required and you're invited in. Hey, we need you for this moment of praise. And this invitation to come and praise God is what's framing the song this morning. It's what's framing the poem. And so you'll notice that in the first four verses then is that first layer of the sandwich. It's an invitation to praise. You heard it over and over again. Come and praise, come and praise, come and praise. And then the bottom layer of the sandwich, if you skip back down to verses 19 and 21, you'll see the invitation is to bless. So praise and bless are framing our conversation on the inside and this invitation to come and do that. Here's the thing, you guys. Praise is an activity that we do. Offering praise to the Lord is an activity that we do, and it requires something of us. If we're going to be people who praise the Lord, here's what it's going to require. It's going to require first attention. Can we pay attention to God? You know, we talk about this a lot with our students, but we talk about how your attention is really like a spotlight, right? What you're paying attention to, and you can choose to shine that spotlight in all kinds of different places. You can choose to shine that spotlight on all of the things that are on your to-do list today. Or you can choose to shine that spotlight on the the argument you got in in the car on the way to church today. (laughs) Or you can choose to shine that spotlight on the the hair of the nice looking hair of the guy like three rows in front of you, not that I've ever done that, right? You can choose where your attention goes, right? You can choose. And so part of praising is choosing that in this place, in this moment, in a particular place, in a particular moment, your attention is going to be turned towards God. So to praise God, we have to fix our attention on him, but we also have to fix our intention upon him. We have to intend to praise. Praising God is not something you do by accident, right? It's not like, oh, I accidentally said something nice about you, right? That's not praise. Um, Praise, lifting up God, honoring him, shining a light on who he is and his character is about intention. We have to want to do it. We have to choose to do it. We have to think about what we're doing. And thirdly, to praise God requires participation. And I know this one is particularly difficult for us, especially just because of how we arrange our worship services. Because someone who didn't quite understand what's happening in this space might come in and they might see a platform up here and they might think that up here are all the performers and out there is the audience. But that's not what praise and worship, it's not what the gathering of God's people is. The truth is we are all performers in the worship of God. We are all participants. These folks that are up here that are so talented and have all these gifts, they're just using their gifts to lead us. They aren't performing for us. This is really important because we come as a gathered people with our attention fixed on God, our intention to worship him, and then all of a sudden some other things can fall away, right? Things can fall away like, oh, they're not singing the song that I want them to sing. Or this isn't how I would do a worship service. Or why did we do it that way? Because all of a sudden what's happening here is not a performance. It's a gathering of God's people with intention and attention and participation. That we are all called to praise God. Did you see it? Did you see it in in the first chunk of verses, the first bread slice on the top? All the people who are called to praise, give praise servants of the Lord. Give praise to those who stand in the house of the Lord. Give praise to those who are in the courts of the Lord, their God. And at the end, the last verses, in the bottom piece of the sandwich, we see what? The house of Israel, bless the Lord. The house of Aaron, bless the Lord. The house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. 
This isn't an invitation just to professionals. Even though the house of Aaron, they were the priestly class. They were the, 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 the major priests who served in the temple. And then there was the tribe of Levi who did all the other priestly duties kind of around it. There were kind of two classes in there. And then the people who served in the courts of the Lord. Yeah, they were, they were people whose like vocation and job and, and even volunteering, were, their job was to praise the Lord, was to lead God's people. And yet everyone was called to participate, even the people who fear the Lord. And that just means the people who acknowledge who God is. We are all called to be participants in the singing of praise to God. It's not just for the professionals. Here's another place where we see that. We see it in verse 4 because we see exactly who God is addressing here in the top piece of our sandwich. We see in verse 4 that the Lord has chosen... Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. So Jacob was an actual person. He was one of the patriarchs. He was like the the grandson of of Abraham. And Jacob um, came to be a, a, a word that stood in for describing the whole community of God. So the whole community of God was described as Jacob or described as Israel. It's the same name. His Jacob's name becomes Israel. And so we see here that God has chosen his people to come and praise him. God is the one issuing the invitation. He says, here, I want my people to come and hallelujah. I want my people to come and to praise. These are God's covenant people. This is God's chosen people. God worked first. Praise always begins because God has already begun. Praise always begins because God has already begun. There is an initiating work, a choosing, a calling forth of God's people to himself. And so we praise God because we already belong to him. We already have a relationship with him. Praise always flows as a response to the work that God has done first. So this is what we do on a Sunday morning. We hear the hallelujah, not the declaration of praise, but we hear the hallelujah, the invitation to come and give your attention the invitation to come and give your intention, the invitation to come and give your participation into praising the God who has made you his own. It's not just what we do on Sunday mornings. You have that invitation every moment of your life. Every day we have an opportunity to respond to God because of who he is. Let's see how the next layers of our sandwich might help us understand this praise better. Because we'll see the next layer in, at the top and the bottom, is a reflection on God's unique greatness. Reflection on God's unique greatness. So we'll see that God is described in verse 5. You can look back down with me. Verse 5, we're told what? I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. He's described as good earlier. We have this description of who God is. In verse six, we have a description of God as the creator, as the one who does as he pleases. Don't read past that too fast, because if God is the one who does as he pleases, then what we need to understand is that God is not held back by any other power. He's not controlled by any other will. He is supreme. He is free to act as he sees fit. We praise God because he is the creator of all. He is the one in complete control. He is the one who knows all of us. He's the one who has made all of us, and he is good, and he is great, and he is above all others. But if the invitation here is to praise God for who he is, there's another layer to it, which is there's an invitation, did you notice, to praise God for who he isn't? 
Did you hear it? There's an interesting discussion of idols here. Did you, did you notice it? Because the invitation to praise God is to recognize his uniqueness, to recognize that God alone is worthy. And so look back at verse 6 and 7. Let's just do 7. Verse 7 says, He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain, and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. We may read that and go, oh, that's a nice poem about God being in control of nature. And it is that. But if we lived in the culture that the ancient Israelites lived in, we would know that that description tends to describe this guy. This is Baal. And the ancient uh, Canaanites and the pagans in, in that day, they believed that this dude, Baal, was in, was in charge of storms and fertility. And he brought the rain, and the rain in that area of the world normally came with storms, and it meant that he brought what was needed to grow crops and all of those things. And so here's the deal. I, you guys have heard me talk about this place before. Um, up in, at the University of Chicago, there's a free museum. It's called the Oriental Institute. And you can go there, and you can see artifacts from all of this um, era of, of the Bible. You can see all of these um, cultural artifacts from cultures that were around Israel and even Israel and himself at the time, itself at the time. And so I remember one of the first times I went to this museum, I remember turning the corner and being like, oh, it's Baal, <laughs> right? And here's the thing, he's, he's, he's normally would be holding a lightning bolt in his hand there, they think, a lightning bolt or a spear. And here's the deal, you guys, you turn the corner and he's like this big, <laughs> He's teeny tiny. And I remember, you guys, my overwhelming reaction when I had stood, stood and looked at him was literally to laugh, right? That's Baal, <laughs> right? Like that, that's who, who the, the nations thought challenged Yahweh. They thought, they thought this little statue was a challenge to the greatness and the goodness and the power of God. And so you have this description in the bottom layer of this part of the sandwich where the psalmist is quoting directly from another psalm, verses 15 through 18, or a quote from another psalm where it says, the idols of the nations are silver and gold. They're just the work of human hands. They can't see. They can't speak. They can't hear. They can't do anything. They're not alive. And I think the psalmist's reaction to these false gods is actually kind of similar to my reaction, turning the corner and kind of laughing right? Because here's the deal. The nations, we live in a culture that believes that it can find um, things of worth outside of God, that it's worth worshiping other things. But this reflection on God's unique greatness is not just a, a reflection on who he is, but who he isn't. He's not like these. He's not just a statue that we made up. He is real, He's different. He's uniquely great because he exists. And he's proven himself time and again. We praise God. Our praise, friends, is rooted in the unique greatness of God because we recognize that God is the only one worthy of it. He is the only one worthy of our praise. When I was a kid growing up, and if you were home sick from, sick from school, and it was mid-morning, do you know what you watched? The Price is Right. <laughs> I don't, is it still on? I don't even know if The Price is Right is still on TV. Price is Right may still be on TV. Some of you guys may not know what it was, but it was a game show. It was an hour-long game show where basically the only skill they were testing is do you know how much things cost? <laughs> do you know how much things are worth? And if for some reason you knew the cost of a coffee maker, you might win a car, right? <laughs> or if you knew how much this box of mac and cheese was, you might get a vacation to such and such. And they were kind of designed around games and like Plinko and the mountain climber and all that stuff, right? But it was really, how much is a thing worth? That's price is right. How much is a thing worth? 
But there's another kind of worth in our society, and it's the worth that's best represented by eBay. Have you ever been on eBay and seen the crazy things that people try to sell? Or discovered that something you have is worth a lot of money? Um, here's some interesting things that people saw, have sold on eBay. Are you ready? Uh, someone made a suit of armor. This is true. I saw pictures of it. A suit of armor for a guinea pig <laughs> that sold for more than $24,000. <laughs> um, someone claimed they caught a ghost in a jar and sold it for $50,000. These are all actual sales. Um, there was a cornflake that someone found that was shaped like the state of Illinois that sold for $1,000 on eBay. <laughs> I think my favorite is that Justin Timberlake's leftover French toast went for more than $1,000 on eBay. <laughs> um, those things don't have intrinsic worth, right? It's just a cornflake. It's not even worth a penny, right? It's leftover French toast, gross, right? But no one's lining up to pay $1,000 for my French toast <laughs> leftovers, right? Um, so we have this idea in our culture that there are like kind of what things are worth, and then there's what, th what are people willing to pay. And here's what's interesting when it comes to God and his worthiness, is his worthiness is so different from the eBay kind of worthiness. His worthiness is intrinsic to who he is. He is worth your attention. He is worth your intention. He is worth your participation because he is the creator and maker of all who knows you and who loves you and who is guiding this world in ways we can't possibly imagine. He is worth our praise. Not because we just decided it, like we decide how much leftover French toast is worth, but he is worthy of our praise because when we realize who he is and who he isn't, we understand that he deserves our attention and our intention and our joyful lifting up of who he is. And so we see in the middle of our psalm sandwich, we see that everything was guiding us to the middle of the psalm sandwich, which then is if God is worthy in who he is and his unique greatness, then we need to be reminded that that God is at work to save. That God himself is at work to save. At the heart of this song, at the heart of this greatest hits song is an exploration of what God is doing to save his people and the psalmist is teaching us that we praise God, yes, for who he is, and we praise God, yes, for what he's done, and we praise God for what he has promised to do to rescue his people. So look down at verses 6 through 12. You would have noticed there's an exploration of God at work in history to save his people. And so there's kind of whirlwind tour through all that God had done to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt, plagues and Passover and protecting them in the wilderness from kings who wanted to stop them, that God was at work to save his people, to pull them out, to rescue them from the place where they were lost, and then to bring them into their heritage, to bring them into their inheritance, to the promised land that he had promised to Abraham before everything else. And so this, this 6 through 12 is an exploration of all that God has done in the past to save his people. And then we come up on verse 13, and we're told what? Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout the ages. This is a description of God being at work right now. It's not just that God was working to save in the past, it's that when this song is written, and even now, God is still at work to save. And so when we say that God's, um, that God's name endures forever, we're proclaiming that his name, his fame, his, who he is, is present right now. 
That, that God's name, his presence, who he is, has something important for us right now. If it endures forever, it's from before, it's going into the future, we're somewhere in the middle of that. And then we're told that his renown is throughout all ages. If it's in the future, it's in the past, and it means it's right now as well. Even your life in this moment as you're sitting in this pew or watching online right now, in your life at this moment, God is at work. The God that we proclaim is in charge of the whole universe. He is working. His power isn't limited to the history of the past, and it's not limited to the hope that we have for the future. God is at work even right now. God is up to the work of saving his people and growing his kingdom and proclaiming his character to the whole world. Even in this baptism this morning, we see a reminder that God is at work calling people before they even know that God is doing anything, calling people into relationship with himself, promising goodness to them to bring them into the family. As a matter of fact, one of the ways that some translators handle the word in verse, four, uh, in verse 13 about God's renown or his fame being throughout all ages is throughout all generations. We proclaim it. We proclaim who God is, that God is at work to save people even now. But it's not just that. God is at work in the future. And so we have verse 14. For the Lord will vindicate his people, and he will have compassion on his servants. There remains work to be done. Vindication has this idea that God is going to set all things right. He's going to come, and he's going to judge, and he's going to ask act justly towards the world and towards his people and then have compassion. This is God acting in your best interest. This is God promising to be consolation for you. This is God promising to be comfort for us. This is God promising that even right now he has compassion on you and your life and he wants the best for you. Think about it. The God of the universe is actively, even in this moment, working out what is best for you, his people. This is a promise to all of us. And so we sing along with the writers of our psalm because we're able to say that God has been at work in the past and God is at work even right now and God will continue to work into the future. Friends, in this church, look around you right now. There are people in this church and in this room, they go down every week to the Dream Center and they spend their time and their energy and their money to serve the least of these. There are people in this room who go every year to Mexico and they spend their time and their energy and their effort to show the love of Christ. There are people in this room who are desperately engaged in Bible study and drawing people in. There are people in this room who make phone calls to people who bring meals to them. There are people in this room who are dedicated to seeing kids grow to know Jesus. There's people in this room dedicated to see students know that they can follow Jesus for a lifetime. This is the saving work of God at work in his people right here, right now. If you need a reason to praise God, look around at the work of his people. If you need a reason to praise God, think about all that he's done. Think about who he is and who he isn't. If you need a reason to praise God, hear the invitation. Hear the call. Hallelujah. Come and praise the Lord. The psalm comes at an interesting place uh, in the book of Psalms. 
if you were with us last week, you know we studied Psalm 131, which is part of a group of songs in the Psalter called the Psalms of Ascent, or the Songs of Ascent, that we think, best guess, is that means that they were sung while, uh, while God's people were on pilgrimage to the city of Jerusalem for high feast days. And so they would have sung those songs as they were going, or there might have been some system to it, but they would have sung those songs as they, uh, as they, as they come to Jerusalem to celebrate and praise the Lord. And then those Psalms are one, Psalm 120 to 134, which makes our psalm today, 135, the very next psalm after the Songs of Ascent, which in most scholars would presume means that this is the song that you sang when you arrived at your destination. This is a song, you've gotten to Jerusalem, the feast is beginning, the people are gathering, and here comes the call and the invitation. The call comes, hey, praise the Lord. We, we made it here. We, we did what we need to do. You've come. Come, let's praise the Lord together. The travelers have reached their destination and been invited into remembering who God is, to, to reflecting on all that God has done, and to praise him because of it. Based on some of the vocabulary of this psalm, most scholars think that this was probably written late in the, the life of the nation of Israel which means a couple things. It means that this song was sung by a people who were still under oppression. They had come back to Jerusalem, but their region of the world was always controlled by big empires and foreign powers. So this song was sung when things weren't great for God's people. And if it was sung when they arrived for feasts, it also means that this invitation to sing and reflect on God and remember all that he's done, that it was, it, was a, it was a repeated experience. It means that these moments of coming to praise as a community of God were actually punctuated by spaces of everyday, ordinary, maybe even difficult life. You sung this song in a rhythm of life as you came to recognize God and they went back and did what you're doing. It also means that the pilgrims wouldn't have had everything worked out. They would come, they would come to the temple of God. They would hear the hallelujah. They would hear the call to come and praise and their life might have still been pretty messy and their national life was still kind of messy and they didn't, weren't sure what God was gonna do. They were hungry for a Messiah and they had all these different ideas for it and yet they were still singing this song and this song is still presented to us. The pilgrims don't have everything figured out but they knew that it was important to praise the Lord. And that teaches me and you something important. Can we sing this song together while we travel on our way? As our lives are split up, as we just go about every day, maybe difficult life, and then we come together as his people and we hear the call to praise and remember who he is and what he's done. We don't praise God because everything is working out for us. We praise God because we trust his character and his promises to set all things right one day. You guys know this because you're sitting here right now and you don't have everything worked out. I don't have everything worked out. But I know that God is worthy of my attention and my intention and my participation. There's several places in the New Testament where God's people are invited to, um, to praise God. 
But the word hallelujah only appears in one chapter in all of the New Testament. The word hallelujah appears multiple times in Revelation chapter 19. It's towards the end of Revelation as, as we get a peek into the throne room of God and we see that several times God's, God's presence and his working in the world calls forth praises. And so you could look at verse 6 and 7 in Revelation 19 where the, the writer of Revelation says, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. You will recognize those words as the text of Handel's Hallelujah Chorus, straight from Scripture. That here at the end of all things comes the invitation once more to praise the Lord because Jesus now reigns. And because of his death and his resurrection and his return again, we will know the end of these promises. And we will hear the call to praise. Friends, there will be a day when the invitation to praise goes out to all the earth. And Paul says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And one day, every single thing and all of creation will heed the call to hallelujah. And we participate in that future reality as we gather in moments like these. And we reflect on what God has done to save us. And we remember who he is. And we participate in his worship. So Northminster, hallelujah. Let's praise. Let's pray. God, we do ask you that you would remind us that you are the one worthy of our attention and our intention and our participation. And might we always find reasons to lift up your name and to gather as your people. Though, though life is happening all around us, that we can pause and remember, you are who you say you are. You will do what you have promised to do, and you are worthy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.